and follow along as I read verses 1 through 9 of Joshua 1. Joshua 1, reading verses 1 through 9. This is the word of God. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. May God give us ears to hear his word. In case you missed it, last Wednesday was New Year's Day. The beginning of a new year, 2020. Sounds like a science fiction movie or something like that. And with a new year comes New Year's resolutions. All around our country and really around the world, millions of people have made and will be making New Year's resolutions to do this or to not do that in the coming new year. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but it's likely that some of us in this room have made resolutions regarding 2020. I looked into this, and nearly all New Year's resolutions fall into one of two categories. Maybe just ponder this. What do you think would be the two categories into which basically all New Year's resolutions fall? Well, the first has to do with physical health, bodily health. I'm going to lose 10 pounds. I want to exercise more regularly. I want to quit smoking. I want to quit drinking so much coffee. I resolve to do this or that because I believe it will benefit my physical body, my health. The second big category had to do with money, finances. I want to get out of debt or save up a certain amount of money or not waste so much money on soda pop or get a promotion at work, that sort of thing. I resolved to do something that would improve my financial situation. Now, a question I want you to think about now is why do we make the New Year's resolutions that we make? I mean, what's motivating these? Why do people resolve to lose weight or get out of debt or quit smoking? Well, the reason why is because we believe that attaining to this goal will improve our lives. If I can get this or that thing, quit smoking, quit drinking, lose pounds, whatever, my life will be better as a result. Now, if that's the case, why then do we not often take God into consideration when making New Year's resolutions? I mean, the vast majority of them have to do with the here and now, with, say, losing weight, with getting out of debt. And not that there's anything wrong with that. But why is it that we so rarely give thought to what does God want for my life? How could I glorify God with my life in 2020? What 
practical habits might I adopt this year that would make me a happier, more joyful Christian? Well, we want to do that this morning, and specifically as pertains to reading the Bible. I want to commend to you a New Year's resolution that I believe in the long run will make you a far better person than, say, losing 10 pounds. A far happier person than, say, losing that stubborn baby weight. And it's committing yourself to reading God's Word every single day. Really, that's my goal. Uh, to put the cards on the table, the title of my sermon sort of states my goal today. I want to move you to resolve to spend a little bit of time every single day in 2020 in God's Word. Sure, we'll fail from time to time. Sure, we'll miss a day here or there. But I'm hoping to move all of us to committing. Insofar as it depends on me, during 2020, I'm going to strive every single day to feed on God's Word. Really, that's my sermon today. And to do this, I want us to meditate together in Joshua 1.8. Joshua 1.8, and from this verse, we're going to talk about three questions, three questions all pertaining to feeding regularly on God's Word. Now, just to quickly put the book of Joshua in context, the book of Joshua was, was written around 1400 B.C., presumably by Joshua. The people of Israel, they've just come out of Egypt. You'll remember God raised up Moses. Moses humbles and conquers Pharaoh. He does all those plagues. Moses leads them out of Egypt and really to the brink of the Promised Land. But then just before he dies, he passes on the baton to Joshua. Joshua, well, you're going to take it from here, and you're going to lead the people into the promised land. Now, under those circumstances, it shouldn't surprise us that Joshua is probably struggling with a bit of fear and intimidation. I mean, who can replace Moses? Moses, the great man of God, the man who wrote the Pentateuch, biggest section of the Bible, the, the man who performed all those plagues in Egypt, the man who's been leading us for 40 years, he's gone, and now... Me, Joshua, I'm to take over. So we can understand why he's a bit afraid. And that's probably why in three verses, God commands Joshua not to be afraid. Look at verse 6. Be strong, be courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. We can understand why Joshua needs to be commanded this three times. It's because he's tempted to be not strong. He's tempted to be not courageous. He's weak, he's insufficient, and he's afraid to take up Moses' mantle. And yet, into that very context, God gives to Joshua one key piece of advice. Joshua, you want to successfully lead the people? You want to be strong and courageous? Here's what you need to do. And it's verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that then you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Now, obviously, in context, this promise applies uniquely to Joshua. This is not a command applying to everybody everywhere, but uniquely to him in his context. And yet, there are principles here that do apply to us today. There are truths and presuppositions underlying this verse, which we need to believe and apply to our lives. And it's those assumptions that I'd like us to meditate on together today. Well, keeping that context in mind, the first question I'd like us to talk about is what does it mean to feed daily on the Bible? Uh, what is God really getting at when he calls Joshua, and by implication us, to every day spend a little time in God's Word? Well, let's read Joshua 1.8 again. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Now, if you look at this verse carefully, in the first half of the verse, there's a negative side to it and a positive side. And putting this together, it can very helpfully define what it means to feed on the Word of God. 
Negatively, we're to not let the word depart from our mouths. Now, what does that mean? Uh, well, what this seems to mean is that I'm talking about the word, word of God all the time. It's coming out of my mouth with my wife, with my kids, with my friends, with my relatives, with my coworkers. Because of the parallelism, this seems to be part of what it means to properly digest the word. It's just coming out of me like water. Now, this idea of talking about the Bible, it comes up again and again in Scripture. This is the normal practice of godly people. For example, Deuteronomy 6.6 6 says, These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You know, like Jesus taught us, it's out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. So if we're filling our hearts with the word of God, that can't not but come out in the way that we talk to one another. It'll just come pouring out with my spouse. We'll say, you know, I read the most amazing thing in the Bible this morning. Let me tell you about it. Uh, in the hallways of this building, we'll say, you know, the, the sermon really spoke to me in this way. Let me share that with you. Even with our coworkers, I've discovered this in my own life. I talk to Christians about the Bible so much that I'll get together with non-Christians, not realizing, not remembering they're non-Christians, and just start talking about the Bible. And halfway through the conversation, it just kind of strikes me, this person doesn't believe the Bible is the word of God. But I think that's part of the magic of it. If it's always coming out, how much more effective will your witness be? That's part of what it means to feed on the word of God, that it's coming out of your mouth continually. So I ask you, do you know that experience? Do you know what I'm describing? Well, the second half of our definition, again here in verse 8, is that word meditation. Don't let the book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night. Now, what does meditate mean according to Scripture? Now, when we read the word meditate in the Bible, we've got to forget about just about everything that we see regarding meditation in pop culture. Uh, this is one of those places where I really wonder if we need a different word. We can't keep using the word meditate because people define meditation so wrongly. On television, on the internet, when they're talking about meditation, they mean Eastern meditation, uh, transcendental meditation. Uh, you might imagine a person, you know, sitting kind of cross-legged on the ground with their hands like this, trying to empty their mind. And you know what I'm describing? That's how the vast majority of Americans define meditation today. It's this emptying thing where I'm not thinking about anything at all. It's ironic, but that's the exact opposite of Bible meditation. Uh, I really think that the devil's involved here, kind of confusing the definition of Bible words. But in the Bible, meditation is very much a pondering, a reflecting upon. Uh, the idea actually comes from a cow chewing its cud. Uh, remember that idea? What happens? The cow gets some food and it comes back up and then it chews it over and over and over and over again, sometimes for hours. Uh, if you don't know what chewing the cud is, thinking about chewing gum. You, know, you just put that piece of gum in your mouth and some of us chew gum for two, three hours or more. That's the idea of biblical meditation. You take a Bible idea, a Bible truth, a Bible verse, and you think on it over and over and over again. You're chewing on it. You're considering, how does this apply to my family? How does this apply to the way that I work? What does this mean over here because of what I see in John 7? What does this mean because of what I see in Isaiah? You're pondering. It's very much a mental activity. That's meditation. Now, as I imagine you know, this is not the only verse in the Bible to commend meditation on Scripture. This is actually everywhere in the Bible. David, who wrote Psalm 1-1, said, Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. 
Psalm 119.97, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Psalm 119.99, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. Call it meditation. Call it contemplation. Call it pondering biblical truth. What God is calling us to do is to have Bible truth so live within us that it begins to control and shape our minds. That's really what it means to meditate on the Bible. You're sort of, you're to so read the Bible and think on the Bible and study the Bible and listen to the Bible that it almost possesses your mind and shapes the way that you think and act and feel. Now, obviously, what we're talking about here is far more than just reading a verse or two at breakfast with your coffee. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but this is a lot more than that. Uh, this is a lot more than just reading a Bible verse on a calendar. Again, nothing wrong with that, but this is more than that. This is a very serious, intentional effort to get the Bible in your mind and in your heart to the point that it changes you. And it will do that if you'll take God at his word. And did you notice how most of the verses I just read, they emphasize daily meditation? Not just once in a while, not just every other day, but daily thinking on God's word. This is fascinating. You even see this here in Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you'll meditate on it day and night. Now, as I've taught on this topic before, I know a lot of people think that what I'm describing here is unrealistic. Uh, you know, you can't do this, especially in our day and age where we've got smartphones and cars and internet. You can't really meditate on something all day long. Well, to gently push back against this, I would challenge you that you probably do this in other areas without realizing it. There are probably other topics or subjects that you're meditating on day and night. You just don't realize it's meditation. So, for instance, many of us I know are a little bit incensed about politics. We're basically meditating on it day and night. You might say, read political news in the morning. You might check your favorite political websites all throughout the day. In the evenings, you might watch your favorite political commentator talk about this and that. Maybe you write letters to congressmen. Maybe you read books about the presidents. But what is it? Your mind is possessed about politics, and what that does, that is shaping you, whether you realize it or not. Most of us have done this in a negative way when it comes to our health. Doctor tells us that something fishy showed up on a test, and you know we'll have to run some more tests, and we can't tell you what's going on for a couple of weeks. And what happens? For a couple of weeks, our minds are spinning. What's going on? You know, we're on WebMD, looking up the, the symptoms and trying to find out what's going on. We're Googling this disease to find out if we have this or that. And you've been there? Again, that's not Bible meditation, but it is meditation nonetheless. And here's something I'd stress with you this morning. You can't not meditate on something. All right, hear me and think about this. You can't not meditate on something. It might be politics. Might be your health, might be maybe your kid's future, the future of our country, how I'm going to make more money, my golf game, video games, your favorite sports team, whatever. But your mind will be possessed by something that you believe is vitally important, and that something will shape you, it will transform you. And realize that the vast majority of the things that we choose to meditate on, they do not make us better people. They might make us more anxious or lazy. They might make us more fearful or greedy. They might make us more selfish, but they don't make us better people. But Scripture will. It will conform you increasingly to the image of Christ. And what we're seeing here 
what the Holy Spirit is telling us is that we need to feed on God's Word every single day, to be meditating on it day and night. To use the terminology from Colossians 1, we let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. That's normal, healthy Christianity. Every Christian is to have the attitude of Job, who said in Job 23, 12, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. Every Christian is to believe the words of the Lord Jesus, who said in Matthew 4, 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is the healthy Christian attitude. You don't merely own a Bible. You don't merely read the Bible once in a while. You don't just, you know, I read the Bible cover to cover 10 years ago. But the Bible is the food you need for your soul, and you need it every day, as much as, if not more than, your daily bread. But how about you? How are you doing at feeding on the Bible, finding food for your soul from Scripture? Do you delight in the Word of God? Do you prioritize meditating on it? Do you treasure it more than your smartphone, more than your car? This is what it means to feed on the Bible. Quickly, a second question. Why should every Christian feed on the Bible? Why should we take a little bit of time every single day and set it aside to intentionally think on Scripture? Now, for the sake of time, I'm going to abridge what I've got here significantly. I've actually got four reasons uh, for why we need to meditate on Scripture daily. But to be totally honest, I imagine you already know you ought to do this. Uh, this is probably not, you know, especially if you attend here regularly, this is probably not something I need to labor to convince you of. But for the sake of time, let me give you just two reasons why, both from Joshua 1.8. Every one of us needs to prioritize meditation on Scripture. First, feeding on the Word is the secret to a spiritually stable life. Feeding on the Word and daily is the secret to a spiritually stable life. Now look at Joshua 1.8, and notice the connection between meditating on the Word of God and the fruitful life God is offering to Joshua. He says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you'll have good success. Look at that last phrase there. Then you will be prosperous and you will have good success. And by prosperous, don't imagine here Joshua rolling around in a Rolls Royce or something like that. I realize that kind of teaching is out there. It's positively demonic and it's not what the Bible teaches. The prosperity that the Bible commends to us is spiritual prosperity, spiritual fruitfulness. That's the sort of thing you should expect. You see, here's how it works. It's really kind of simple. The God who created our world, our entire universe, he knows best how life ought to be lived. And he's given us a book, a book which, while it's more than this, it's not less than a handbook as to how we're to live in God's world. And the fruitful life comes when I so meditate on that book that I begin thinking God's thoughts after him. I think God's thoughts after him, and then I can thrive in the world that he's made. That's the way God designed life to be lived, and that's how you can have a blessed, fruitful, stable Christian life. Now, this idea that a spiritually stable life comes through feeding on the Word of God, again, this comes up over and over in Scripture. Turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 1. I know we've talked about Psalm 1 many times. 
But this is so powerful here in Psalm 1. I want you to notice it with me. Look at Psalm 1. In Psalm 1, we read this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and in all that he does, he prospers. Now just look at that last phrase there. In all that he does, he prospers. I mean, is that the most blanket statement you could consider? Everything this person does, it prospers. Whatever he puts his hand to, it flourishes. This is that abundant life Jesus spoke of in John 10.10 when he said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Now really think about this. If, if somebody said, I've got the secret for you prospering and everything, not necessarily financially, but really flourishing in every aspect of life, would you be interested in taking them up on that? I mean, would you be interested if somebody wrote a book, How to Flourish in Absolutely Everything? That'd probably be an Amazon bestseller. But here the God of the universe has told us exactly how to prosper, to be fruitful in everything we do, and it's really quite simple. Verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. That's the secret right there. So fill your mind, fill your heart with God's word, day after day, year after year, decade after decade, you will be changed. You will be transformed. Your life will be full and rich. Now, lest there be any misunderstanding here, I want to clarify that when I say your life will be full and rich, you'll be blessed, that does not mean at all that you'll avoid pain and suffering. Don't hear me at all saying that if you just read your Bible, you'll have a pain-free, problem-free life. That's not true at all. Life is, in a way, suffering. And even the greatest Christians suffer greatly. Furthermore, again, I remind you that we're not talking financial prosperity. God might bless you with money and health, but he might not. Either way, God is still faithful, and the fruitfulness God is promising is really not necessarily connected to money and possessions. You might think of Jesus in this regard. Jesus did feed upon the Word of God day and night. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but Jesus had to study Scripture. In order for him to do what he did in Matthew 4, he had to grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. He had to memorize Scripture. And when Jesus was tempted by the devil, what did he do? Every single time, he's quoting scripture. He's saying, it is written, it is written, it is written, and that caused the devil to flee from him. So Jesus did feed on the word of God continually, but did that make for a problem-free, pain-free life for Jesus? Obviously not. I mean, he's hated, he's harassed, he's unjustly arrested and tried, and then tortured to death. Certainly, Jesus' submission to Scripture did not make for a problem-free, pain-free life. But think about the fruit his life bore. As a result of delighting in the Word of God, God raised him back from the dead. More than that, after his resurrection, he ascended to heaven where he's ruling and reigning today. He poured out his Holy Spirit upon us. Those of us now who believe are eternally saved, our sins are forgiven, our hope in heaven is secure, and one day Jesus is coming, coming again. And he'll create a new heavens and a new earth. All of that because Jesus, who is the word of God incarnate, fed himself on scripture. That's the kind of spiritually stable life we're talking about. Not necessarily prosperity in this life, but in the life to come. 
Not necessarily riches here on earth, but riches in heaven. Quickly, let me give you a second reason why all of us need to feed on the Word of God daily. Again, from Joshua 1.8. It's because feeding on God's Word is a prerequisite for obeying God's Word. Feeding on God's Word is a prerequisite for obeying God's Word. If you long to live God's way, and if you're a Christian, you do, realize that part of journeying to become a person that lives God's way is immersing yourself in Scripture now. Again, Joshua 1.8. And this time, as I read it, look at what Joshua will be enabled to do if he meditates on the Word. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that then you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. It's that latter part there, so that you may be careful to do all that's written in it, that I want you to think on. You fill your life with the Word of God now, and you'll be transformed into the kind of person who naturally obeys God's Word. And you think about it, really, that's the proof of a spiritually mature person. You know, you wonder what a spiritually mature person is. It's not necessarily a person who's got all the Bible answers, not necessarily a person who even reads the Bible a lot, but their almost second nature responses are biblical. Uh, They respond almost by instinct in God's way. When you're doing that, realize that's spiritual maturity, and as you'll see, that comes only as you immerse yourself regularly in God's Word. Now, again, this comes up over and over and over again in Scripture. How do I become a doer of the Word? I first need to feed deeply upon the Word. Jesus said in John 17, 3, Sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. Psalm 119, 11, I have stored up your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. In one sense, this is the whole theme of Psalm 119. I want to live God's way. How do I do that? It doesn't come through willpower. It doesn't come from really New Year's resolutions. It doesn't come from me just pulling up my bootstraps and being Mr. Awesome. No, I am weak, I am needy, and I need to be fed by the Word of God. That's what's going to make me a person who lives God's way. Psalm 119.9, How can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? Psalm 119.33, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep them to the end. Now, one point I want to emphasize is that this feeding feeding on the Word, it will change you, but it does not change you overnight. It is vital for being transformed, but don't hear me telling you that if you you read your Bible at 8 o'clock in the morning, you'll just be super Christian all the day long. That's not at all what we're talking about. No, the Bible transforms us, but it changes us very slowly, very gradually, almost on a subconscious level. You can't really see it. You can't feel it happening until you look back five years, ten years later, and you don't even recognize who you used to be. I don't think most Christians have communicated this very well. We hear that the Bible changes us, and people try it for a week or two, and then after a week or two, when they're still struggling with the same old problems, they think, oh, this doesn't work, the Bible doesn't work. No, realize that's not what I'm describing at all. Feeding on Scripture changes you, but it does so very slowly very gradually. And in order to persevere, you can't be motivated by immediate results. I think this is part of why the Bible likens the Word of God to seed. Seed sown in the ground. This comes up again. It's an interesting metaphor. Luke 8, 11. The seed is the Word of God. 
1 Peter 1, 23, you have been born again, not through imperishable seed, not through perishable seed, but through, per in pardon me, look it up. I think it's on your bulletin, by the way. I'm butchering it right now. You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Now apply that seed metaphor. I mean, if I took a handful of acorns and threw them out in a field, would I have a forest tomorrow? Obviously not. No, they need to go into the ground. They need to sprout. They need to, it takes a long, long time before I get a forest. Years, decades. Realize that's how the Word of God does its work. It changes you, but not immediately. It conforms you to the image of Christ, but not overnight. But every bit of time you spend meditating on Scripture, it's like planting more seeds. And every bit of time you spend meditating, pondering Scripture, it's like watering those seeds. And after years of prayerful meditation, what will happen? The person who's been faithfully carving out time for God's Word, they will be a mighty spiritual forest filled with spiritual fruit. When the storms of life come, they won't be washed away. Whereas the person who has been neglecting Bible meditation, they'll be a dry, barren spiritual desert. It's really a sad thing to see. And I know I've stressed this before, but I think in the wisdom of God, God made the process of change slow on purpose. Why did he do that? I think he did it because he really values faith. I mean, I mean, this is what God's looking for, by faith. Therefore, he made the process of change so slow that I can't be motivated by my immediate results. I can't be motivated by my feelings. I take God's word by faith. This is changing me, even though I don't see it, don't feel it taking place. But since I believe God's promise, I'm going to feed on the Word of God. I think that's why God made the process so slow. Believe me, brothers and sisters, feeding on God's Word will change you. It won't change you overnight, but it will change you. And five years from now, ten years from now, you won't even recognize the person you used to be. That's definitely my testimony. Those are just two of many reasons why every Christian ought to set aside time daily to meditate on the Scriptures. But again, I suspect you probably already believe that. Now the final question I want us to think on now is what's your plan for daily feeding on the Bible in 2020? We've talked about what it means to feed on the Bible. We've talked about why every Christian should daily feed on the Bible. Now in conclusion, one simple question. What's your plan? Now, when it comes to feeding on God's Word, this is one of those areas where if you are not intentional, it won't happen, especially in our world of distractions. I mean, our world is just getting more and more distracted and distracting. We've got smartphones and Facebook and Netflix. We're getting texts all the time and calls all the time and emails all the time. In a world like that, if you don't intentionally fight to make time in the Bible, it won't happen. You know, you might discover a random Bible fact here or there, but you're not going to meditate on the scriptures to the point where you're transformed like we're talking. So you've got to be intentional. Now, we also need to recognize that there are countless ways of feeding on the Bible. The Bible does not mandate one particular approach for everybody, and based on who you are, your reading comprehension skills, your maturity in Christ, it's okay for different people to adopt different methods, different approaches. So, for example, I know many Christians read the entire Bible cover to cover every year. I've done this many, many times myself. I've found it beneficial, but I don't think it's for everybody, especially brand new Christians. Others study one book intensely for a prolonged period of time. 
maybe Genesis, Romans, John, something like that, that can be incredibly fruitful. Uh, but there are 66 books in the Bible. So, you know, you want to you get around to all of them. You know, I was listening to a sermon recently, and the guy said, I don't want to get to heaven and run into Nahum and have Nahum ask me, how did you like my book? And uh, for me to tell him I never actually read it. You don't want that to happen. Some listen to the Bible read aloud on CD as they drive around town. It can be helpful, but also don't want to be too distracted. Some use scripture memory programs or memorize entire books of the Bible, which I know some of you have done. Praise God. Keep that up. Others hand copy large sections of scripture. This is what I've been doing lately, hand writing out word for word the Psalms, which I found very, very helpful. Uh, you notice things that you don't just quickly reading through it. And some who are musical, artistic types, they turn passages of scripture into songs. All of those are great ways to feed on the word of God. In addition to that, I'd also encourage you to take advantage of the technological advancements we had, have. Certainly technology can be distracting, but it also can be beneficial. And even if you're the busiest person on the planet, you know, say you've got 15 kids under 10 and you're the CEO of Google, I still think you could find a good 10 minutes, 20 minutes a day to meditate on scripture. So for instance, you might download good sermons and listen to them as you drive to and from work. You can listen to the best preachers on the planet today for free. And if anybody wants recommendations, ask me after. I'm glad to point people to good preachers. You can put your whole Bible on your smartphone and read it at breakfast, read it during a break at work. You can stream good videos on YouTube. Be careful on YouTube. There's a lot of trash on there, but there's also a lot of good stuff. Maybe consider watching that in the evenings instead of Netflix. Again, ask me for any suggestions. iTunes has got seminary lectures from literally the best seminaries on the planet totally for free. Maybe just make it a goal. I'm going to listen to one, you know, I, I listen to entire classes this way. Right? You know, you, you'd be shocked how much you can take advantage of a commute. You know, I live seven minutes away from church, drive back and forth, you know, sometimes multiple times a day. But in seven minutes, I've gone through entire seminary classes through free iTunes. You can have email devotionals emailed to you. Just every day, you pick it up, you, oh, look, I got another email, I got to read this. There are music, uh, musical groups like Seeds Family Worship. Maybe check them out. Seeds Family Worship, they take passages of scripture and verbatim turn them into songs. I mean, they don't, they don't rearrange anything. Verbatim turn them into songs and you end up memorizing the entire thing. Maybe listen to that while you wash your car, do the dishes, something like that. We could keep going, but there are countless ways that you can feed on the Bible. But really the point is, you find some way to do it. Even if you hate reading, even if you're completely illiterate, there are options out there for you to feed on the Word of God. You really have no good excuse. And like somebody said, the best plan, what, what, you know, what's the best plan for me? It's the one I actually stick with. You know, so don't try something and two weeks later you die and never get back into the Bible. Find something that actually works for you that you can stick with. Now maybe at this point you're saying, this is great, but could you recommend a specific plan? You know, I, maybe I've never done this before. I tried 17 years ago and died in Leviticus. Can you recommend some help here? Well, we got two options for you today, slightly different than previous years. The first is the Essential 100 Bible Reading Plan. Now, this is the one we have recommended for about the last decade, and it's really helpful. I know that many of you have used this. Some of you have used it multiple times. Uh, maybe just for the sake of waking people up, raise your hand if you've used the Essential 100 Reading Plan before. Good, about half of you. 
very helpful. It takes you through the entirety of Scripture in 100 carefully selected readings. So you get not only good time in the Bible, but also sort of a bird's eye view of the storyline of Scripture. I know that many have used this as sort of the training wheels to get them into a regular habit that lasts long term. This is a first option we're commending to you. If you want the card that's on the table in the foyer, uh, th this would be a great thing to read with your teens. Maybe fathers, mothers, read this with your teens. A great way to get an overview of Scripture. But that's the, the essential 100 Bible reading plan. The other one that we're recommending today, and this is just for the sake of variety, is the Bible reading schedule put out by Faith Baptist Bible Seminary. Now, where did mine go? Here it is. If you take a look at yours, this was in your bulletin today. This is kind of interesting because it's got different options. You could read the entire Bible this way using this one thing, but if you look at it, it's got the Bible divided up into three categories. You got your Old Testament, your New Testament, and then the poetry sections. And it's divided up in such a way that you could pick and choose. So, for instance, maybe you just want to read the New Testament. Do the New Testament section. Maybe you want to read New Testament and poetry. Do New Testament and poetry. Maybe you want to do just poetry. Do poetry section. Maybe you want to do Old Testament. And, you see what I'm saying? Uh, there's a little bit of variety there. And my challenge to you is think, what would be both doable and challenging? You know, based on where I am, my life and so forth, what would be both doable and challenging? And I'm inviting you this morning to commit to that. Make that your New Year's resolution, that insofar as it depends on me, I'm going to prioritize time in God's Word. One last suggestion when it comes to Bible reading. I'd strongly, strongly encourage you to find somebody to keep you accountable. Uh, this will increase not only the likelihood that you'll actually do it, but also give you something very fruitful to discuss with this person. Find somebody, maybe your spouse, maybe your parents, maybe your siblings, maybe a person in your small group, somebody in your Sunday school class, a deacon, a pastor, it doesn't matter. But find somebody and say, this year I'm going to try and do X. Would you hold me accountable? And then when you see one another from time to time, talk about it. How's it going? How's your Bible reading? That's one of the questions I ask people often when we get together. What have you been learning in your Bible reading? Uh, just knowing that we're going to talk about that, I think, encourages people to actually do their Bible reading, and it gives us something fruitful to talk about. Well, to wrap up our time this morning, I take you back to what I said in the introduction. This is a new year. With a new year comes new, new Year's resolutions, and we make New Year's resolutions because we think they'll make us better people. They'll improve our lives. If that's the case... I want to be honest with you, what in the world could be a better New Year's resolution than committing yourself to reading God's Word every day? I mean, honestly, if you're a believer in Jesus, what possible New Year's resolution could you conceivably make that would be better than spending a little bit of time every day feeding on God's Word? Feeding daily on the Word of God, this will make you happier in the long run than losing 10 pounds. It'll make you far happier than a smaller mortgage. Your spiritual stability, your abundant life is directly connected to you thinking God's thoughts after him. And that's true not only of you as an individual, but us as an entire congregation. So I ask you, brothers and sisters, do you desire to be a spiritually stable Christian? I mean, really. Do you long to see us be a spiritually stable, fruitful church? I sure hope so. Then will you resolve this morning, insofar as it depends on you, to make a habit every single day until we see Jesus to feed on the Word of God?
pray you will. Let's close in prayer. Oh God, our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the precious gift that your word is. Lord, forgive us for taking it for granted, for neglecting it, forgetting about it. It's a shame, Lord. Forgive us for that. Help us to treasure your word. Change our hearts that we would view it as more precious than silver or gold. Help us to prioritize it over television, Facebook. Make us a Bible-reading people. And as that takes place, transform us increasingly as a congregation into the image of your Son. It's in his name we pray. Amen.